0: Hello and welcome to School Me, the National Education Association's podcast dedicated to helping educators thrive at every stage of their careers. I'm your host, Natika Samuels. Today we have a special episode for you from the Oregon Education Association's podcast, OEA Grow. OEA Grow is a weekly member-led podcast where educators come together to discuss timely school issues with the goal of amplifying educator voice. So stay tuned for a great episode about special education and inclusion from OEA Grow. And if you like what you hear, remember to subscribe to OEA Grow wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members, For members. In Season 3, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for Season 3 is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister.
1: Hi there, everyone. I'm Leonie Bannister, your host for Season 3 of our OEA Grow podcast. This season, we're learning about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Today, we are joined by Nels Pasternak. Nels, would you introduce yourself, please?
0: Sure. My name is Nels Pasternak. Um, Pronouns are he and him. I am Punjabi, Russian, Jewish, and Danish, second-generation American. I've worked 16 years as a life skills special education teacher and a peer tutoring teacher, and I have um, special education, ELA, and social studies endorsements, K through 12, and my administration license. I'm a delegate for the OEA and NEARAs, a member of Oregon Educators United, Oregon Educators for Climate Education. I'm the executive director of Educational Equity Now nonprofit, and a member of the Western Regional Education Network coordinating body.
1: That well, I'm is
0: also a, the chair of the OEA special ed committee.
1: Wow, that, that's a lot. Well, thank you so much for all your leadership that you're doing. There's oh, yeah. a lot there's a theme in there woven in there, I noticed, um, for special education. Um, and that's why you're here today to kind of help us just have a you know, an, an alt just an additional perspective on how special education can provide a safe, welcoming, and inclusive school and experience for our typical students and our, our neurotypical students and our, just our non-neurotypical students. Would you um, just kind of share with us a little bit how you feel that special education intersects or connects to um, a safe, welcoming, and inclusive school?
0: Well, you know, one of the things I really like about working in special education is that we get to work with everyone in the school, including like bus drivers, you know, librarians, custodians, all you know cafeteria workers, office managers, all the Gen ed teachers and all the different subjects. And um, together you know in a collaborative way we help people to find a way to be a part of the greater school community. Our mm-hmm. schools are reflections of the communities they serve and in our schools and our communities people need to be empowered and supported to find their niche or to be able to get in where they fit in. and it's our job to support them to do that. Um, especially as special education, educators, you know, we need to help the students who don't feel like they fit in to find a way where they can feel like they do. Mm. So, you know, a few quotes that I think are really relevant to the job we do is like the child who's not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. That's like an African proverb and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I tell you like anyone who has worked in SPED for more than like a metaphorical minute knows we are consistently preventing fires and also helping to put them out. Mm. Um, You know, related to the trauma-informed practices, we, uh, you know, special educators are trained every year about how to recognize escalation cycles where people are in those cycles and respond to needs that they have at every phase in positive ways that can lead to um, de-escalation and conflict resolution. And I feel like it's a really important part of being a special educator to advocate for equity and inclusion, human-centered design, and liberation in our school systems, and that we all get to be kind of catalysts for positive change.
1: I, I wanna ask you a little bit about, because that that was a an, an very like well thought out answer. And I, I wonder how in your experience, because you talked a lot about kind of prevention, but then also intervention or responding, right? Like how as a teacher in your experience, have you found that balance of like, how can I build skills within a student to help them navigate the school and or learning space or classroom, but also at the same time, find time to deal with those moments of escalation or deal with when the system is not meeting their needs. Like, because you have that experience, you've been in it a while, like what would you share with new teachers maybe or teachers that need like a refresher? How do you strike that balance?
0: Well, I think I would, I would really want to emphasize that special education's, like primarily about serving all the students, creating the trauma-informed, safe, welcoming learning environment. Mm -hmm. We need to be inclusive of all abilities, identities and learning styles. Mm -hmm. And we look at some of the things that are mandatory in our field, like the need to document student strengths, their needs, their preferences and interests and the family concerns. That's things that we need to do for every individual Mm -hmm. if we really wanna create learning environments that meet the needs of all students. I think that's a good practice kind of universally. We have to focus on needs, strengths and interests in order to empower, inspire, and support all our kids. Mm -hmm. We also have to be able to differentiate instruction and help other educators do that as well. You know, a one-size-fits-all model for how to provide SPED services is like having a plan to become a great restaurant by serving everyone the same food. Instead of like ignoring all the allergies and dietary needs. Like some people might like it, but it's not gonna meet the needs of all the customers. Like we need to teach children and some adults really too, that it's not, there's not just one correct or right way, but multiple ways to learn see and be in the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I really think that success, you know, there's a good quote I've heard that success is achieved by like developing our strengths, not, you know, trying to eliminate our weaknesses. So a lot of stuff can be avoided with a strength based approach Mm. to education. A lot of stuff can be, um, you know, it's better to proactively kind of, Avoid things that are problematic. You have to get to know what works for the kids, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. That's also fundamental for UDL, like in yeah. designing instruction to meet the needs of their, a variety of different learners. So you know, yeah,
1: for, yeah. Already. For those who don't know what UDL is, would you mind just sharing? Well, that's just a great universal
0: design learning concept. So it's the concept that when you design lessons, that they need to be universally accessible, and mm-hmm. that they have like tiers, or that so that students who are Um, who learn in different ways can do that so that there's not just like one way to correctly do the assignment. Like you'd have multiple options to learn materials and um, you know, places for kids who really, some kids might have a prerequisite knowledge that's higher when they're starting than others. And so how do you make the lesson engaging for kids who know nothing about that lesson, for kids who know some of it, or for kids who already know maybe the majority of it. So you got to have ways to meet the needs and inspire um, all the kids. Cause you know, one of the most important things I think that we all do as educators is that we inspire kids to have a passion and a love for learning and to think of learning as fun and something that they want to do. Throughout mm-hmm. their wow.
1: No, that's really amazing points there. No, I appreciate that. So when you, um, as a special education teacher and trying to integrate students into the general education learning space. And when we think of least restrictive environment, and when I when I think of that, I also think about a, a, not just the label LRE, but I think about what what is it they need to feel like they're welcome there, that they belong there? When you think about the least restrictive environment for students who may be receiving special education support, like what does that mean to you? What what value does that hold for students in our schools?
0: I really feel like, in, well, in basic terms, you know, the least restrictive environment refers to the setting where a child with a disability can receive an appropriate education designed to meet his or her educational needs.
1: Mm-hmm. Also,
0: alongside alongside peers without disabilities to the maximum extent appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, When we think about what it means to provide an appropriate education designed to meet all students' educational needs, there's a lot of room for interpretation.
1: Right. There's a lot of
0: variability about what is appropriate. So we need to have some variety and we need to have flexibility in our programs, especially if we want safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools that meet the needs of all students. We need to have a culture that values, you know, trauma-informed educational practices so we can recognize anxiety and understand adverse childhood experiences, you know, the ACE scores. Um, Nadine Burke-Harris has a phenomenal TED talk about that. Mm -hmm. We have to understand how childhood trauma can affect health across a lifetime and how we can support students with trauma histories and social-emotional learning needs. And I also think, you know, there's a lot of room for creativity in special education when it comes to this. So if we can envision it and plan for it and it helps the students the chances are it can be done. I feel like it would be really interesting research topic to look at all the creative ways that students are being supported across the country. I'm sure I would learn a lot of new ideas if I was conducting that study. Mm -hmm. And so I think that least restrictive environment on the one hand is kind of intentionally meant to be a little bit open to interpretation and flexible. And on the other hand, it's from whatever the starting point is, we want to over time increase exposure to general education and really, um, peers and, and being a part of the sc- school community at the large, but th- that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be fully included in gen ed right. every minute of the day, because we also have to um, respect the needs that people have with, you know, trauma histories, anxiety, and things like that.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think from the top, when you introduced yourself, I think it at- I'm just thinking about uh, my familiarity with our student, our light, uh, program, like the life skills program. It might be good just now for you to um, describe what the life skills program is, because uh, a life skills program does present a little bit different than your typical special education program in a school. So could you just describe that for to our listeners now?
0: Absolutely. So a life skills program is a program for kids who have what's called low incidence conditions, which I paraphrased as relatively rare types of disabilities, Mm -hmm. and who have moderate to profound impacts from those disabilities. So we're working, if you think about a response to intervention and the triangle, like the general intervention, and then the yellow and the red, the students who need the most intensive individualized supports, we live in the red. Mm -hmm. All of our students are at the top of needing the most intensive individualized supports. We do, you know, we work with SLPs, augmentative and alternative communication specialists. We work with You know physical therapists occupational therapists vision specialists um, sign language interpreters nurses you know deaf and hard of hearing specialists i hope i hope i'm not even forgetting i'm sure i might even be forgetting half the specialists but i mean autism and behavior consultants so we work with a lot of specialists but we also work with um school staff in really unique ways because we do Mm -hmm. vocational training so it's like we might have a custodian who's taking one of our students around and showing them how their job's like We have kids doing office jobs delivering messages we have kids working in the cafeteria we have the classroom is often our community at the high school level so we have volunteer you know places where we go and build vocational skills all around the community like we try to find out what kids are passionate about and interested in and we actually part of my job is community outreach like i'll go call that store owner or that business manager and be like hey i have a kid who really dreams of you know working here what can we make can we arrange Mm -hmm. something
1: you know, awesome. We have our own
0: insurance and you know, all sorts of <laughs> stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really neat to hear. Uh, honestly, like on a personal level, the school that I work at has, um, we are a, a we have a life skills program in our elementary school. So it's neat to hear what happens on like the other end of the spectrum where we're training our students for, for life, for making them like, you know, helping them develop the skills to be employable and, and helping them understand what that would look like. It's really cool to kind of, see that end of it just that's like on a very personal level that's super cool
0: no it's really fun too i mean we do a lot of independent living skills we always have a washer yeah. dryer and you know we have our own little mini kitchen we would take, plan a meal go to the store like create the shopping list go to the store like compare the prices get the food plan a healthy meal
1: yeah
0: come back maybe store it in the fridge next morning go to the home ec room during the prep period and like you know cook together mm-hmm. and do all sorts of things that are really um they're really fun but also things that a lot of people like take for granted and yep. we teach a lot of things that you know even gen ed students really enjoy so we had a peer tutoring program five periods a day and we had a lot of peer tutors like sometime you know every term we've been very yep. popular
1: no, that's really cool. I mean, and that's really the win-win when we're supporting students in a life skills program is there's an eagerness and that is essentially like a safe, welcoming and inclusive school when you have their peers walking alongside them to you know, learn with them, support them. And be seen by, you know, the adults as part of, you know, we're all part of this together, you know, this system. And that's kind of what we've been trying to create in our school also with our, with our students in the Life Skills Program. Yeah, is-
0: that's great. I mean, we had a Look Me in the Eye student Club where they would come and we would eat lunch with like 25 kids once a week and do activities.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And uh,
0: so I was the advisor to that. And I was advisor to Rotary Club for over a decade. And we would go volunteer like outside school hours. Live skills would volunteer with other Rotary Interact Club members and like got mm-hmm. additional voc training. And then, you know, what's also cool is you think about career and technical education. I can't tell you, like, I, I've had like 30 practicum students in my career, but also like just probably over like 100 peer tutors go on to work in special education. So we're actually recruiting and providing kids with real job training as well as tutors because, and you know, a lot of times there's staffing shortages. So I just think that it should be a standard, I wish it was a standard CTE class like peer tutoring, or even it doesn't have to be special ed specific, but I think there should be a CTE class about learning how to work in a public school system.
1: Right. No, I agree. I mean, think about how, what good problem solving, communication, conflict resolution, all that stuff that would be, you know, they'd get some practice with. That's awesome. Um, Now, getting back to special education, and your leadership. Um, it, you're part of the OEA special education uh, committee, correct?
0: Yeah, I've been the chair of that committee, I want to say, the last three years. Okay. So,
1: yeah. so how how is that committee kind of, what is their perspective and how much value do they place on the idea of school being an inclusive learning space for our students who are in a special education Program Where does that rest in the committee's values and practices? Super high like
0: value and priority. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we value inclusion tremendously and equity and justice, uh, social justice. I mean, we, we are all very passionate about these things. I really feel like um, special education is equity work, like in one of its purest forms. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of work, like, you know, we meet monthly for four hours at a time, and, and the, the requirement is to meet once every three months, and we meet every month. And we're usually volunteering that time. We're always vol- on volunteer basis, you know, for four hours. In the last two years, we've worked with OEA to help develop and pass two Senate bills: Senate Bill Five Eighty and Senate Bill Seven Forty Four. Um, they address caseload and class size, and equitable graduation requirements. We've written to ODA, ODE sorry, about numerous issues that impact students like exclusionary discipline and the need to emphasize care and connection
1: mm-hmm. over
0: paperwork compliance, especially during COVID. We've done nice. several different webinars and PD sessions about things like demystifying special education to help explain what we do and facilitate collaboration with other educators. We have a live Google forum that folks can use to connect with our committee to request resources, share questions, comments, or concerns that they have. We created a shared resource folder where digital materials that are proven to be effective and engaging are compiled for students so that they can be shared out with other educators and families. Uh, we collaborated with the nonprofit organization Educational Equity Now and helped with its formation by compiling a list of free resources for students, families, and educators. And they've all been linked and categorized on that website and anyone can ask, access them.
1: Would you and mind I- sharing with us, Nels, what, where is that, what website is that? Where would people
0: www.educationalequitynow.com and Thank that's you. the name of the nonprofit. and that nonprofit does a lot of cool stuff I'm the executive director we do free uh, peer-to-peer online tutoring for students who fell behind during COVID we had that program going where we'd have like high school people kids signing up to tutor uh, middle school and elementary kids and especially students who have fall behind we were doing that free of charge we had a partnership with the ymca so that families could get free memberships and also so that they could do adaptive swimming oh, um that's, that's with the pool like in a covid safe way like the whole pool and a private locker room for a student who for students who were primarily doing online school in the life skills program because their families were worried about COVID, and so they needed a way to get adaptive you know pe and physical therapy and we would arrange it so they could have the whole pool to themselves and the whole locker room to themselves free of charge we did that almost all year with wow. a part the YMCA. So we do a lot of cool things. And then with the OEA special ed committee, you know, this year we completed an action plan that was supported by the OEA Coaching for Empowerment Academy. And we developed a response to a problem of practice that we have. We actually created the problem of practice, which is um, best practices regarding advocating for the least restrictive environment and positive inclusion experiences for students, especially those receiving SPED services are not widely known, discussed, or shared. So we did a lot of research around this topic and went through a PDSA cycle. And as a part of that, you know, plan, do, study, act cycle, some of the things we did included research on human-centered design, facilitator assessments, strength-based coaching activities, root cause analysis, bright spots activities. We did listening sessions with um, Council for Educators of Exceptional Children members from across the country and the state. We did independent study groups. We did empathy interviews with multiple groups of people, parents, special educators, and people who experience disabilities. And then we made a presentation that summarized our findings, which is titled Best Practices for Creating Meaningful Inclusion Experiences for All Students and Supporting Trauma-Informed Practices and Differentiated Learning Needs.
1: Wow. Where where can people find that?
0: Um, that's still kind of in-house with the SPED committee in our folder, but we are hoping that OEA and other districts will help us to really start promoting and sharing that widely. You know, Mm -hmm. we've just finished it recently, like in the last month. And we're still, um, as part of a new business item, which I wrote collaboratively with the special ed committee, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to get an opportunity that OEA is gonna support for us to take that presentation and present it to the Oregon Department of Education and to ask for feedback so that we can just fine tune it a little bit more and make sure that they feel good about it And then we hope to get the Oregon Department of Education support and OEA support to start really sharing that presentation because that was over a year of work to create.
1: Yeah, you should definitely be sharing that out. That sounded, I mean, just even what you shared there, just those little, not little, they're huge, but there were those bullet points. It all sounded so interesting. Well, Nels, I want to thank you for your time. But before we say goodbye, is there anything else that you want to share with us today that you feel like is important for us to... To learn or know before before we leave.
0: Um, yeah, I would like to say that the Center for Great Public Schools Coaching for Empowerment Academy was such an amazing learning opportunity. I really appreciate the work that Aaron Whitlock and Leah Starkovich put into running that program. They model many different methods of instruction and inclusion and equity are centered in every session. Mm. I think that the way they run the Coaching for Empowerment Academy is very universal design learning oriented. And it's one thing I didn't really talk about that is super important in SPED and really education in general is that, you know, sage on the stage, direct lecture style teaching, in my opinion, is becoming anti- antiquated. Mm-hmm. Although it's still very prevalent, it's kind of like having a vehicle, which is a gas hog and today. <laughs> yeah. So that we know that good teaching teaching is about empowering students to learn collaboratively in a variety of different ways that focus on inspiring student communication. And that's also part of how we support and create inclusive environments for all students. And I feel like Leah and Aaron are masters at that. So I'm very grateful to have been given the opportunity to learn from them. That's awesome. And I just really couldn't recommend um, the Coaching for Empowerment Academy any higher. It's it's an absolutely phenomenal learning experience. I feel like every educator who gets that opportunity to be in that academy will really benefit. And I wish it would be expanded and promoted a lot more because it's an amazing program.
1: OK, we'll add that actually to our resources list at the end of this podcast. So just so people, our listeners can check that out for themselves, because that does sound really, really interesting and inspiring to be part of. Well, thank you, Nils, for your time today. I've I've appreciated all the things that you've shared with us. And I look forward to reading that um, paper that you all are going to be publishing and look forward to learning from you again. Well, thank thank you. you. I
0: appreciated learning with you and talking with you. And thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Good.
0: For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.